There it goes. It says it's red. It says you're you're alive. Quoof. <coughs> Sun on the horizon. Condense. Circle. Time. I call with all my heart. Answer me, O Lord, and I will obey your decrees. I call out to you. Save me, and I will keep your statutes. I rise before the dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. My eyes stay open until through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice in accordance with your love. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your laws. Those who devise wicked schemes are near, but they are far from your law. Yet you are near, O Lord, and all your commands are true. Long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. Forever. Okay, let's see here. We have, well, let me look at my notes. Papaya salad, Rodnar noodle. Oh, no, that's dinner. Sorry. Um, <laughs> how is uh, Ed doing? Ed. The Last I saw him, he... Uh, Did he have a surgery? Oh, yes, he had surgery. Okay. And he's okay? Oh, that was afterward that, yeah. Has he gotten better from that? That's right. You, this was afterward that we prayed for him. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Is yeah, he getting better? He, he's still having... Okay. We want to keep... Uh, Ed in prayer, Doug mentioned him last week, he uh, is still having major problems since he had stomach surgery. Um, let's see here, Jonathan Ryu, who is out in Oregon, this past week had a heart attack. Yeah, and uh, I talked to him on the phone, um, I was so shocked I actually called him and we just talked for a while. He apparently had a heart attack and he thought it was indigestion or something. So he hit himself really hard. And the doctor seems to think that may have saved him because something got dislodged. And he, I can't remember the exact story because we talked for a while, but uh, if you have really bad pains, you might try just whacking yourself because you might dislodge something. But anyway, he's fine. He's taking some medicine, but we want to keep Jonathan in prayer Absolutely. because, uh, wow, I mean, what, what a thing. You know, you're going along fine, you're, you know. Um, and then uh, a lot of people have emailed me about Lisa D, okay? And she is fine. I finally heard from her today. And uh, uh, so if you uh, are worried about Lisa D, she has been working on a ranch and she has no internet where she's at. So don't panic about Lisa, she's fine. I, uh, she has a relative that I almost wrote a letter to, but he only has snail mail, and I thought, you know, I might not hear for a while, so I was hoping, and we finally heard from her, so that's good. And then uh, one other thing, Jennifer Wilson, uh, Graham's wife over in mm. Scotland, she's got a birthday coming on the 26th, so happy well, birthday to go. Jennifer Wilson. Okay, um, uh, we got that, we got that. We'll read this year in Christian history, or this day in Christian history. Today is the 21st. It was a city, <laughs> excuse me, it was a city with a past. The Roman analyst Titus Livius set the traditional date for the founding of Rome as April 21st, 753 BC. The oldest, the oldest settlement was 17 miles up from the mouth of the Tiber River on a cluster of seven hills. Initially, Rome was ruled by Latin kings, but in about 600 BC, Etruscans from modern-day Tuscany, along with the northwestern coast of Italy, took control. About 509 BC, the Romans revolted against the Etruscans and established the Roman Republic. The Republic's chief officers were two consuls, 
elected annually and assisted by other elected administrative officials. The defining moment for the Republic came in 387 BC when the Gauls ransacked Rome. Determined to be vulnerable no longer to an outside attack, the Romans took up the sword and by doing so united all of South Italy of the I'm sorry, all of Italy south of the Po River into a confederation. Rome became so strong that the city stood inviolate for eight centuries. The Republic, America is just about done and we've been around for a little over two, so there you go. The Republic ended in 27 BC when Caesar Augustus became emperor and the Roman Empire began. At this time, the population of Rome was well over one million. The first 200 years of the Roman Empire are called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, reflecting the empire's internal and external peace. During this time of peace, Christians first appeared in Rome. Initially, they were not differentiated from the Jews. As we know, Christians Aquila and Priscilla had to leave Rome when Emperor Claudius forced the Jews out of the city. In AD 57, when the Apostle Paul wrote his epistle to the Romans, there was a church there. Paul was imprisoned in Rome for from 59 until 62, and then a second time in 67 or 68. He was finally martyred there, as was the Apostle Peter. Six different Caesars of the first two centuries persecuted Christians. Then from the third century until Constantine in 313, there were five periods of persecution. During this period, the Pax Romana disappeared. There were 28 claimants to the imperial throne in the Roman Empire between Commodus from 180 to 192 and Diocletian from 284 to 305. Only one died a natural death and only one reigned for more than 10 years. It was during these turbulent times that the Christians of Rome retreated to the catacombs, the subterranean cemeteries outside Rome's city walls. In these underground labyrinths, Christians not only buried their dead, but also worshipped during times of persecution. In 313, Constantine issued the Edict of Milan, giving Christians freedom of worship. At this time, there were approximately 40 churches in Rome, but Constantine also moved the capital of the empire to Constantinople, which today is Istanbul, leaving Rome as the capital of only, yes, leaving Rome as the capital of only the Western Empire, Rome weakened, and in 410, the Visigoths, a German tribe, sacked the city. In 476, the city of Rome weakened politically. I'm sorry, skipped the line. In 476, the Western Roman Empire fell to another German tribe, the Ostrogoths. As the city of Rome weakened politically, the church grew in power and came to dominate Rome. In 847, Pope Leo IV built a wall of defense around St. Peter's Basilica, and it became the center of Christian Rome. At this same time, the title Pope from the Latin Papa, meaning father, came to be reserved for the Bishop of Rome. Previously, it had applied to all bishops, except for a period between 1305 and 1377 when the popes were captives of the French kings and ruled from Avignon, France. The Vatican in Rome has been the pope's residence and the Roman Catholic Church headquarters. The New Testament book of Revelation contains references to the city of Rome. A woman called Babylon the Great, mother of all the prostitutes and obscenities in the world, symbolizing false religions, is pictured as sitting on the seven hills of the city where this woman rules. That's Revelation 17, 5 and 9. 
The woman herself represents the great city that rules over the kings of the earth, Revelation 17, 18. And in AD 95, when the book of Revelation was written, this description obviously applied to Rome. What do you think is the significance of these references to Rome? I will show you the judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute, Revelation 17, 1. It means that the Roman church is an apostate church. It's uh, heading down a bad path to destruction and uh, they will be a key figure in the end times. I don't think the Pope that's there now will be the guy he's uh, uh, doddering, blundering. He's just unbelievable. Socialist. Yeah, he's a, well, he's a commie. He's more than socialist. He's, a, he's a full-blown commie. And, uh, but he sure does tell the gospel story very well. Oh, yeah, he's Mr. Gospel. I've heard him preach that many, many times. I've never heard that guy even get close, get close to preaching it. He talks, he says the words, the gospel, again. He says it all the time, and he never, ever gives the gospel. He just says the gospel, and people, you know, what, it magically appears in their head or something. He's never talked about the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, ever, that I've read, not once. He's got an opinion on every political matter in the world, which is fine, but he ought to at least speak about what's going on in Christianity. And the only time he does, it's to tear it apart and to destroy it. So anyway, that's uh, the Catholic Church. I'm not anti-Catholic, but I am anti-Catholicism. I'll tell you that. What a horrible thing that they've turned out to be. Uh, somebody, email, oh, somebody emailed me this week about uh, Catholic issues, and I emailed the, uh, I, I've got a folder called Nutty Catholic Stuff, and I just sent it off to him. And at the beginning of it, it's got the uh, about nine or ten canons from the Council of Trent, which was in 1546. And out of the 20 or 30 canons, those nine or ten are actually 100% contrary to what the Bible says. And one of them would actually call Jesus anathema. It's unbelievable. In 1546, they truly stopped being anything Christian as far as doctrine within the church. Now, once again, there are Catholics that preach Jesus around the world. They're in the church, and uh, there's one, I think, out in somewhere out in um, Washington State, and they don't like him because that's what he does is he preaches Jesus. And they don't like him, but they can't get rid of him because he's got this big, giant church. Um, and I knew a Methodist like that, too, about... Um, uh, had, it was when I went around the U.S. and there was a guy that had a giant Methodist church and he preached Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they didn't like him, but they couldn't do anything about him because he had such a successful church. So, you know, there are people out there that uh, do not and are not friends of the gospel. They do not preach it, but uh, there you go. There are people within those denominations. Uh, Revelation 3.14, is that what it is? Before we get into our prayer, uh, Revelation, I think it's 3.14. It could be wrong. We'll see in a second. I've been wrong once before. Um, let's see here, 3.14. Um, no, it's definitely not that. It's the one where it says, 3.4, um, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. They, bad churches have good people, and a lot of good churches have bad people. So you want to uh, judge the individual and not say, oh, he's a Catholic, he can't be saved. And there's just way too many of those people out there. You uh, make your estimation of people based on their person and their interactions with Christ. About 10 years ago, there was a priest up in Baltimore, the, the city area, and he was ripping the cover off the ball, preaching the gospel. Good. He packed. They had like four services every Sunday, packed. I, even, I went to one of the services. I was like going, my gosh, it's like... You Preaching know, this, Jesus. This isn't right. So what they did, the diocese, 
they plucked them out and they sent them someplace for well, like I believe a year it. and a half. I believe it. They were like, where'd he go? Uh, you know, we, we have him doing a fine mission someplace. Yeah. In, uh, He's not helping the church. We're not getting as much money as we should out of him. we got to right. beat well, the was, church into him and tell him, right. you know, you owe your allegiance to the church and not to Jesus. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious gospel message, which is the only thing that can bring the human soul to salvation. We thank you that it is so simple that even a guy like Charlie Garrett could figure it out. And we thank you that it's so wonderful that any heart on this planet, if they just realize what it means for them, can believe and be saved. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your precious word. We cherish it. We love it. We would pray that the class would be run properly and that what we say is correct. And if it's not, please alert us to this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your precious word. And we say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Can we help you, ma'am? She's here just in time for class. Um, okay, so um, uh, as usually happens, and, uh, you know, I can be assured that by saying this, the people that emailed me uh, won't hear what I'm saying because this is actually a Bible study, okay? And that's something that a lot of people will not participate in as a normal sermon or a Bible study. I knew it was going to happen. It happens every time I do a uh, prophecy update on the rapture. I've probably done four of them over the past 10 years. And every time I do, the emails come in and they're just distressing. You don't know what you're talking about. Blah, blah, blah. And they got every every wrong argument about why they're, it's mid-trib rapture or post-trib rapture or one guy just wanted to argue who started on Rumble. He wanted to argue why um, uh, the synoptic gospels apply to us today. And I'm like, this is your problem. I'm not going to debate this here. If you want to debate, email me. Uh, you know, if you cannot get the simple basics of dispensationalism down, why, you know, it, it, it's unbelievable. I'm so glad. The, the point that I'm saying this for isn't because I care. The rapture is just a small doctrine in the Bible. But the reason why I'm saying this is because I'm so thankful that there are people that actually attend Bible studies or they go home and they watch Bible studies if they can't attend online or whatever. But the people that really want to know the word, those are the people that I really have the respect for. These people that go and they watch these prophecy updates and then they click off as soon as we're done with the prophecy update and they go and watch more prophecy updates. They don't watch sermons. They don't go to Bible studies. They, they are wasting their lives. They're literally wasting their lives. Um, uh, Wade out in um, Washington, uh, this he's the only person I really ask permission. Do you mind if I uh, don't do a midweek report anymore? And that's because he does so much for the church. He's such a help. He's such a wonderful guy. And uh, I, I, so I, I asked his opinion. I said, what do you think? And he said, you know, every Sunday you tell people stop watching a thousand prophecy updates and watch sermons. And he says, you're only enabling them by doing two updates a week. And I said, thank you. That's a perfect answer for people. No more midweek reports. I'm not going to do that. Um, for those of you that know, we started a, uh, a news site. I've got a news service out there. It's the CG report. It's like the Drudge Report, except it's not gone liberal, okay, and it never will. Um, if it does, you can shoot me. You have permission to shoot me if I ever go crazy. Um, anyway, um, so there you go. I, I'm so relieved to not, oh, he's pulling out his gun right now. Oh my gosh. Your mother's um, volunteering. Mom, oh, mom says she'll do it. Okay. Anyway, the, um, the, uh, the point of this is I am very thankful for people that attend Bible studies. If you don't come here and you watch at home, that's fine. Mom does that most of the time anyway because she's only a mile away and it's too far to come. So I'm kidding. I'm just being mean. Anyway, um, uh, but for people that want to know the word, that want to know doctrine, I, that is 
That is what makes my life. It's the only thing that motivates me for Sunday morning and for Thursday is that we're going to talk about the Bible, okay? Um, and like I said, I, it, is, it is not just nauseous. It is tedious listening to people quibble over the rapture. Listen, the verses are right there. They're explicit. As long as you understand that Paul revealed the mystery, other people wanted to argue about that point too. Uh, rapture is mentioned here and there. Listen, Paul revealed the mystery. That is when it was revealed. He gave the timeline. He gave the sequence of events. That is all we need to know. You don't need to, to get into all of these other silly arguments about the rapture. Go learn proper doctrine, okay? And then the rapture will make sense because all your other doctrines will be in line with the Word of God. Thank you for, that's, that's my plug for thanking all of you today. We are in the book of Philippians, and we're going to start a new chapter. It's yes. such an exciting day. Chapter 3, verse 1. No confidence in the flesh. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Okay, completely different on the last part. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For to me, to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Okay, talking about rejoicing in the Lord. We um, I, Every Tuesday morning I go over on the gateway, right on the other side of this road, we got Superior and then Gateway, and there's a um, real estate office there. And I, I think I've said this during the Bible study, maybe not. I know I said it on Sunday, is one day I walked in to do um, a, a to do something early Tuesday morning and there was a flyer on the floor and it said you know if you want to join a prayer circle Tuesday morning come on over and join us and I was like oh well, let me go see what they're going to do there because it could be some goofy you know uh, Wiccan thing I had no idea but I wanted to see what they were doing and so I really quickly ran over there because it was exactly 8:15 and I'm like oh, I'm going to be late so I ran over there and here the guy I walk up and he's reading the Bible off of his phone. And I said, yes, and I've been going ever since. So one of the things that they start with, he starts with the prayer to open us and then he says, are there any praise reports? And there's only a handful of us there. It's not like there's a lot of people that wanna show up for this type of thing. Um, I think the most we have is seven and usually it's six or five, whatever. Um, but uh, praise reports. And this week I almost said one, but I don't wanna take up their time, you know, let them speak because they only have a few minutes before they have to go in and work. So I will give the praise report because here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, um, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Here's what happened. Sunday, we were in church, right? Mm -hmm. And it was nice and cool in here, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. oh, it's wonderful. Okay. So I am uh, sitting at home Monday evening, yeah. just been sermon typing. Okay. And it's been a long day and I'm sitting there and the phone rings. And I don't want to answer the phone because I don't want to get in a conversation with anybody and I certainly don't want to leave the house Monday after having typed since three o'clock in the morning. But somebody named Vic Rowey called and Vic says, Charlie, I'm at the church and the air conditioner isn't working. He's got a Republican club meeting here. Mm -hmm. It's 94 degrees in this building. It was punishing. I walked in, it was like just sudden bath. And he couldn't have his meeting, obviously. We tried to get it going. I went outside and it went and I said, it's the capacitor. I know that's what it is. And so I said, Vic, it, we're not gonna get working. I had everything taken apart. I thought maybe it was the pump at first. You know, it wasn't shutting off to drain the pump and which means the air conditioner. I, I went through everything. I realized it's the capacitor. And so Vic, I don't know what he did. I don't think he had his meeting or if he did, he, he did? Yeah. Oh, okay. Unbelievable. Wow. It was it was so hot. It was terrible in here. Yeah. So anyway, 
My praise report is that if that didn't happen on Monday, we'd be sitting here right now not having a Bible class. Actually, it's not a terrible day though. It's kind no, of, it's mild out. But I'm so thankful because we were able to call Tri-County. They came out on Wednesday. I had no CG report to do, so I had three hours that I normally don't have. Praise the Lord. So there you go. Give thanks and rejoice in everything. You know, I'm rejoicing that that air conditioner is working. like twice a week. I know. How can it go bad? That's the second capacitor to go bad. What is they, they make those things. They design them to last. You know, it's like your car battery. Have you ever looked at your car battery when it goes bad? You go to start and it doesn't work. Have you ever lifted up the, the hood and looked at the date? It is always within 30 days of the date that they stamped it five years earlier. Always. They have it they have it rigged so that they will fail. It doesn't matter if you use your car for 50,000 miles or for 3,000 miles. They go bad at five years. I had one go bad five days before the expiration and they honored it. But boy, I'm sure they were chewing their teeth. We didn't put enough uh, whatever in there to dissolve the lead fast enough or something. But I, yeah, no kidding. You check, next time you have a battery go bad because if you, you can jump it, It'll only last a day or two and it's gonna go bad. It, it will not, look at it and you're gonna be surprised. Listen, this thing's supposed to go bad in another 30 days. It's unbelievable how they've timed these. Well, these capacitors, so we use it twice. Well, actually it's three because Vic does have meetings here, but okay. right. uh, that might be, that'd be two times four is eight plus one, nine times a month, we'll say, because he has one, one meeting a month, is that right? Yes. Okay, one meeting a month. So nine times a month, this thing's run for a couple of hours and it's gone bad twice in the past 11 years. It tells you that they have a five-year lifespan. They're gonna go bad whether you use the thing or not. So you might as well just plan on it, okay? So there you go. Anyway, enough of diversion, okay? We're getting into the Word of God, but that was the Word of God because I was saying how thankful I am. I'm rejoicing that what happened actually happened, you know, right at the beginning of the week. So we had a whole week to get this sorted out. Okay, Paul begins chapter three with finally. Rather than to sum up, Paul's words, rather than to sum up, the word indicates something remaining. Not to sum up, something remaining. And so this begins the last major section of the letter. In it, he will provide warnings against various ills that he is sure they will face. He will speak against the teachings of the Judaizers. He will speak against those who live for this world rather than setting their minds on that which pertains to our heavenly position. And he will warn against factions and divisions within the body. These, along with other words of admonition and encouragement, are to be part of this finally, which is given now. Okay, in the book of Ephesians, he said, finally, my brethren, and then he went on for another two chapters. So it doesn't always mean finally when Paul, he, when he gets the pen going, it can keep going. But uh, this is a finally, and how much, I think we still have. Yeah, there's another chapter after this. So his finally here doesn't really mean finally either. It's just a beginning finally. Okay, so um, next he notes, my brethren. He is speaking to those who are united as one in the family of Christ. It is those who have received him, who are his own brothers in the faith. Okay, um, I was listening to Philemon this morning. Now I'm about halfway through Hebrews. But um, uh, this morning when I uh, was doing something, always at the mall watering the plants, and I always leave the, the radio up real loud, so anybody walking by has to hear the Bible while I'm watering the plants. But Philemon, it's kind of the same thing. He's uh, writing to uh, his brother 
Philemon about his son in the faith, whom, you know, it's just a wonderful word and kind of the same attitude Paul has towards his brothers, towards his son in the faith. And he appeals to people. He lets them know they're loved in Christ. So, uh, my brethren, he's speaking to those who are united as one in the family of Christ. It is those who have received him who are as his own brothers in the faith. To these, he again reminds them to rejoice in the Lord. It is a reminder that they are, in fact, in the Lord. If you're in the Lord, and I understand, I listen, I get a lot of emails of a lot of people that have a lot of difficult times. They have heart attacks. They have, you know, family members die. They have pets get run over and all the terrible things. I understand that it is a, a fallen world, and it is a time of, there is a time for you to mourn and to not be, you know, whatever. At the same time, at the same time as you are miserable, you can still rejoice in the Lord because there is a hope that the other people of this world don't have. They lost their dog yesterday, their daughter ran away, you know, with some guy that's a loser, whatever, and all they have is their own misery and they don't have any hope of the future. Whereas the people that are in Christ, if you can just remember that you are in the Lord, it doesn't matter what is going on, it will be over someday and it will be replaced with absolute wonder and perfection. If you can remember that, if you can just hold on to that, even in the times when you're angry, when you're upset, when you're whatever, you can rejoice in the Lord because Christ owns you. He will never let you go. You have a sure hope of heaven. Rejoice in the Lord, okay? He has saved them. And so no matter what occurs, it doesn't matter what happens, they should look to the glory ahead as a means of enduring whatever trials now exist. And we get, in America, we are so pampered. I, you know, I was reading this article about the pandemic of the past year and a half, okay? This is about three months ago. I read this article and I wish I'd saved it. But anyway, they were talking about the people in, I think it was Sweden, might have been another one of those states over there or countries, but they were talking about the things that they were hoarding when the thing started, okay? And they said it was completely different than America. They said they were hoarding, and I don't remember what it was, and I wish I had kept it, to show what a contrast it was between them and America. Because you remember what we were hoarding. The one toilet thing you paper. couldn't, yeah, toilet paper. Like, that, that says a lot about the American people. That says a lot about us, right? If we are that worried about something that unimportant, it shows you that our priorities are completely out of whack, completely, all right? Where is the rejoicing in the Lord when you're running around hoarding toilet paper, okay? You're, you're concerned about one of the least important things on the planet, and people are fighting over it in stores. I mean, go back and look at some of those videos. You, you probably forgot they're there, but they're still on YouTube. Fighting each other in the store over rolls of toilet paper. Unbelievable. So, uh, it, it occurs they should look to the glory ahead as a means of enduring whatever trials now exist. We have all this comfort here. We have all of this ease in America. And so we've forgotten that bad things actually happen. That we're not entitled to have every day perfect. We're not entitled to have a big bank account or a big house or running water. We're not entitled to any of those things. We have worked for them. We have earned them. They belong to us. And if they get taken away, it is because we were irresponsible with the running of our nation. That's all there is to it. We're not entitled to anything. Okay, and when it is taken away, people are going to be looking for an answer. 
And if you don't tell them about Jesus now, they are not going to have any answer. So, you know, people need to know your testimony, your witness, your life. Even if they reject Jesus now, when things drop, at least they will remember, that guy was always happy. That lady was always speaking about her faith in the Lord, and I can't find her. Her clothes are there, but you know, a pile of clothes, but she's not there. I'm just kidding. I have no idea what's going to happen. But anyway, um, aliens. Um, a, well, aliens. Do you know? I, it's funny you said that. Do you know that it is true that there are aliens in uh, uh, that the Nephilim are actually aliens? There are aliens in the Bible. Listen to this. Let me read this to you. Let me go back here a little bit. I sent it to Sergio, and he said he knew it. No way. I knew it. I knew it. I said, Sergio, I have proof from the Bible that Nephilim exist. I never noticed this before. Incredible. I was leaving Publix, and I was coming back over here, Hebrews 11, and what the version that they were citing said, and acknowledged themselves to be strangers and aliens on the earth. I, sure enough, the Nephilim aren't just the sons of God, you know, the, the line of, the, it's Hebrews 11 something, I don't know, whatever. And I just, I had to send it to Sergio because the, the Nephilim thing is so ridiculous. People get, they spend so much of their time. That was Abraham anyway. Yeah, well, it was much later. It was at the end. It was towards the end. I don't know, I'm not going to look it out now, but it's towards the end. All of these, it was speaking of all of them. They all are strangers and aliens on the earth. But people waste so much time on things that are unimportant. Okay, there are a couple verses in the whole Bible about Nephilim, and people write books about it. And they're wrong. They, their analysis are sensational. They sell a lot of, uh, you know, books, or they have a lot of hits on YouTube, and it doesn't edify anybody. Because the term Son of God is used probably 9,562,000 times in Scripture. And it always is referring to saved believers in Christ. Except that one time, you got to be kidding. Okay, it's the worst of theology, but it sells well, and people want to have sensationalism in their theology. I've said this before, the most sensational thing on this planet is the Word of God. We don't need to hype it up with all kinds of crazy theories. We've got the Word of God in our hands. He wrote this to us. He's given us this gift. Why get into all of these tangents that are obviously untrue, but people do. That's why the prophecy updates are always real popular is because that's what people want to hear. It tickles their ears and they don't want to know doctrine. Thank goodness for the people that attend Bible studies around this nation, okay? There are little Bible classes all over, people holding them in little gatherings in their homes or in a church, and you know, you got a church of 50,000 people and four people show up for a Bible class. Those are the four that really care about the word, okay? All right, his next words form a new thought and are not logically tied to rejoice in the Lord. He says, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious. <clears throat> it is uncertain what exactly he is referring to. It could be another letter or letters that he wrote to them. It could be what he has told them while with them. Or it could be what he has said already in this letter, and which he will say again in this finally section. What is important is that whatever he is referring to specifically it is not a burdensome thing to repeat himself, okay? One thing that I said this a while ago, and I tried to never say this kind of thing anymore because somebody emailed and said, please don't say that. I used to say, I think I've said this before, and I apologize if I have. And I don't apologize anymore. I just say, I think I've said this before, but, and I say it again, because uh, this person that emailed me said, 
I need you to repeat things because I don't remember these things. And when you repeat them eight or 10 times, it helps me to remember them. And so I, I don't apologize anymore for repeating things. I just go ahead and do it. But what is important is that whatever he is referring to specifically is not a burdensome thing to repeat himself. You want to repeat. Repetition is what helps you to learn. Repetition is what helps you to learn. Okay. Can say that again. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I can. Um, rather, he notes that for you, it is safe. In other words, the repetition will instill in them the importance of his instruction. That's why 2 Thessalonians is a book of repetition. He said, don't you remember I already told you these things? He had been in the church, he had told them, and they were taking a brain nap. And so, do you know when I gave that sermon or that prophecy update last um, uh, Sunday, we had a person that doesn't usually attend church in here. Yes. And he sat there during the whole update and during the whole sermon and he smiled and he took it all in word for word. I was so happy to see that guy's face. Burke, it was so nice to have you come to church. I hope you do it again next Easter, okay? <laughs> if you come next Easter, you'll make us happy. We, we were all blessed by your presence, but he sat and he, he listened to everything. Some people, you know, you, when you're in a church this when we were at Grace Baptist, I've said this to people and they don't believe it. When we were at Grace, I would preach in front of four or 500 people, right? Mm -hmm. And it was so easy. You didn't see anybody. You had the lights in your face. You didn't see anything. You're just up there and you could be talking to the wall. You had no idea. You're just, it was so easy to preach at Grace Baptist. When you're sitting here, you see every single thing that it, somebody yawns, oh, somebody picks their nose. I don't know. I don't care what it is. It is distracting. It is more distracting than being on Turtle Beach in some ways. I mean, it was that was very distracting. But when you're here, you see every little thing. People talking to each other instead of paying attention to you. That's the worst. I'm telling you, it's not because it's a pride thing. It's just, you know, are, are they? It just it's distracting. And so when you're in a little church like this, it is way way more difficult than Grace Baptist. That was the simplest, most. I loved doing that. You go up there and you just talked. You just you you didn't. It was just great. Anyway, so... Um, just to continue yes. prior to that, you were saying about repeating yourself. What book are we ending up on Sundays? Sundays? What What do you mean? Book? Deuteronomy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Ultimate. Yeah, the, okay, ultimate, ultimate repetition yeah, is exactly. Deuteronomy, a second reading of the law. Mm. But surprisingly, you know, I, I've always heard people say that, that it's a second reading of the law. Yeah, okay. And so I always, in my mind, because they had said that, because that's what it said before. You know, at the beginning, the introduction of Deuteronomy, they have a little thing in there and you read it and it says, this is a repetition of the law. And because I heard that from the very start, I've always looked at Deuteronomy as a repetition. I never realized how different it was than the others. Oh, it says this in De uh, Leviticus 26. It says this in Deuteronomy 28. It's basically saying the same thing. And so I can rush through Deuteronomy. I am so glad to go through this verse by verse because it's completely different. Even if it's got some of the same information, it's got tons of... What a great book Deuteronomy has been. It's going to end at 104 sermons. I figured that out today. So the 104th will be our last Deuteronomy sermon. Then we will have four sermons from another uh, book, and then we'll be back into Joshua. Okay, nice. so I wasn't sure how many I was going to do. Somebody asked me to do something. I did it. And you talk about the ultimate repetition. Mm -hmm. He asked me to do something. A person in the church asked me to do something after Deuteronomy. And he sent a suggestion. And 
Um, I actually didn't respond because, you know, I, I was just thinking about how I would approach it. I didn't know if I could do a good job of it. And so he thought that I didn't want to do it because I didn't answer his email. But I happened to see him that weekend and he said, well, you never answered me. And I said, oh, we're going to do it. I just, you know, I wanted to make sure that I could think a way of doing it. So the ultimate repetition, I took four sermons and I cut and pasted them into what I'm doing. Right. And so they're almost identical to four sermons that have been heard in the past, but they're four pertinent sermons to that part of the book we're going to look at. And so I think they'll be nice, they'll be good repetition, and they'll be instructional for a lot of people because I do change them. When I say cut and paste, I mean the material, not the actual. Anyway, um, so there you go. That's what we'll do, four sermons, and then we'll go into Joshua. Um, uh, in other words, the repetition will instill in them the importance of instruction. If someone reads the Bible only once a year, they will have a very general view of its significance. If it takes you a whole year, that means you're reading no more than 15 minutes a day, okay? If you're reading 15 minutes a day, that's fine. I'm happy you're doing that, but you're only gonna have a general view of what's going on. Because in your life, Psalm 90 says a man's life is to be expected to be how long? Three score and 10. Three score and 10, and if you're blessed, it's gonna be 80. 70 years or 80, okay? That's Psalm 90, okay? That's the oldest Psalm in the Bible written by Moses. Moses, that's right, okay? So we can expect that if we are spending 15 minutes a day reading the Bible, and we started when we're 45, I met the Lord, okay? And I'm gonna punch my ticket when I'm 70. That means that you have uh, 50, uh, 25 years. You're gonna read the Bible at most 25 times, okay? If you are willing to go 30 minutes a day, you will have read it. 50 times. And if you're willing to dedicate an hour of your life every single day to reading the Bible, you will have read it a hundred times before you punch your ticket, if you live to 70, okay? If you're blessed and you live to 80, then add on those number. But what I'm saying is that an audio Bible takes 70 hours to get through. There's 70 hours of recorded material on an audio Bible. I've listened to the one in my car now. I think I've worn it out. It's gone through so many times. It just plays all the time, okay? So that's superfluous to my Bible reading, but it's still the Bible getting in, you know, because sometimes you're driving and you're not thinking about the Bible. You're worried about the guy that's going to hit you or something. But for the most part, you have the word getting into you. But if you are listening to an audio Bible, 70 hours is how long it is. Divide it up. Like I said, 30 minutes a day, you'll have it done in 154 days. And most people, not all people, but most people will read faster than an audio Bible. Audio Bibles are there for clarity. They're there for your understanding. So you can estimate twice a year you'll read the Bible if you only do it 30 minutes a day. Please read your Bible. I'll read that again now. If someone reads the Bible only once, they, he, not they, I always do that, he will have a very general view of its significance. But for the one who reads it again and again, it will continue to have more and more importance. Okay, it's not like Edgar Allan Poe where you've read it and you've read it. It's done. Okay. I know Poe. You can read it again and you can memorize like the Raven. I did that one time. It's a long poem and I memorized it. And to this day, I could quote it to you. Take, we'd be done at nine o'clock tonight. But anyway, um, uh, it, it's, you know the content of Poe. And if you read it again in a year, which I used to do every single year, I would read all of Edgar Allan Poe's works. It's a good refresher, but you weren't getting anything new. Okay. If you read the Bible, three times a year, you will always get something new. And you're not just gonna get something new, you're gonna get something great. It's, you're like, I never thought of that. Oh, do you get that, Burke? 
I want to say that a missionary came back on retirement. He served overseas, he and his wife. And he told me, similar to what you're saying, he said, and he said, what, what, what you're doing, reading through, he says, you need to get a commentary or two and go through it with that. Okay. That changed everything for me. A commentary will help. Yes. You've got to be careful, you know, not to believe everything you read, yeah. but because there are good insights. But I always tell people, if you buy a Bible with a commentary, and you're right, I agree. Not, not a Bible, but, you know, like the, the Fair, McGee. Yeah, or McGee something. or something. That's right, because there's always going to be people that have different insights than you. Always. And it doesn't mean they're wrong. They could be right, and you could be right. They just have a different insight into that. But they could also be wrong. And that's why I love during sermons to say, this is this person's evaluation. This is this person's evaluation. We know that this is wrong because they're from Cambridge. You can, if it says Cambridge, you almost know they're wrong. They're just so pathetically anti-Bible. I don't understand why somebody would spend their life learning the Bible, learning the languages, just to tear apart what they've learned. I don't understand that. But um, you still, even with a bad commentary, can get good insights because they spend so much time trying to tear it apart that they actually give you an insight that nobody else thinks about. And so I've gotten some of the best insights that I've gotten out of the Bible from reading their commentary. And it had nothing to do with what they said other than, well, this word matches with this word over here, which nobody even made a connection to because they're trying to disprove the Bible. And instead they give you an insight that shows how wonderful the Bible actually is. So even a bad commentary, but you just have to be careful to understand that what you're reading is not the Bible, it's a commentary on the Bible. And as long as you make that distinction, you'll be safer than saying, well, the Bible says, and it doesn't say it, but that's what J. Vernon McGee said, okay? J. Vernon McGee, I've never really spent a lot of time listening to him or reading him. I understand he's very good. Okay, but at the same time, make sure you understand that what he has said is what he has said, and it is not actually the Bible itself. He's given you an analysis of it, but that's a very good point. You will always get new information if you are reading people's, especially people that do line-by-line -line studies, their analysis of what's going on. Um, I have to say something. Yes. Okay, oldest psalm in the Bible, written by Moses, you live to 70, possibly 80, if right. you're lucky. If he lived to 120. 120, that's right. Well, that's okay. That was the Lord's choice for him. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the same thing. Every time I read that, I said, boy, he really got blessed on it. Yeah. Big time. So, there you go. And we're going through. If he hadn't used that stick, he might have lived longer. That's right. Once, once you go using the stick you're not supposed to use, that's problematic. So... Um, yeah, well, we're, I'm going right now through the age of Moses. Just this morning's commentary, I typed up his age based on uh, uh, the 40 years in Egypt and the 40 years. And so uh, we're going through that right now in the Acts commentary, and that always comes to mind. He said that, but he was blessed with a long life. So the warnings will call out um, more notably. The grace will be more evident. Oh, I'm going to go back and read the previous sentence so you know what I'm talking about. But for the one who reads it again and again, meaning the Bible, it will continue to have more and more importance. The warnings will call out more notably. The grace will be more evident. The glory will radiate out more fully. Paul is instilling in them the same words so that they will remember what he has said and be more likely to apply them to their and thus also we to our lives, because it's in the Bible, it's not just to the people at Philippi, but it is to us as well. For his audience, 
This is a safe measure. He repeats himself. He repeats himself. And when we read the Bible again and again and again, it is a safe measure because you're going to fill your mind with whatever is coming in today. Today. And it's going to either build you up or it's going to bring you down. Today. Okay? And if you say, well, I, I'm just too tired to read the Bible today, I hate to tell you, but you still have at least eight and probably 10 or 12 more hours of stuff coming in. You may be too tired to read the Bible, but you're not too tired to get another 12 hours of information from somewhere. It's going to come from somewhere. So even when you're tired, read the Bible. You may not remember what you read, but it will be making an impact in who you are as a person. So please read your Bible. Do it because it's important because it is the Word of God that has been given to us for our building up. Yes? Your, your most alert time. Oh, it's first thing in the morning. Well, that, that isn't for everybody. Oh, okay. Mine is in the evening. Oh, Burke says his most alert time is in the evening. It's By right. the evening, I am so tired every day. Hedico knows when we eat dinner. You, you, uh, you raise the roosters, though. I, I, well, that's true. Okay, so Burke's best time is he remembers more in the evening. I'm exactly the opposite. By by the time we have dinner, I am done for the day. Last night, fortunately, we had tacos, which I love tacos. It was taco night, and we could have that every night, but we had tacos, and I almost couldn't get my last bite in. I was almost falling asleep at the table, but I finished my tacos, and then I went to bed, but I, I could not. Actually, I read the Bible, and then I went to bed, but I, I could not process everything in the evening, but in the morning, there's nobody around. I'm up at three something, you know, I start reading the Bible and whenever I get done with that, then I greet the people on the Siesta Key Sunrise channel and I get into the Bible commentary and all that stuff. But the first thing I do, other than taking out a couple of the dogs that have to go, I know they do. When I wake up, they get excited and if I don't take those three dogs out, I'm gonna have a lot of work to do. So I, I take them out and then they go back into their cage and then I read the Bible. And that's, that's the first thing that I do every day. It's my quiet time. It's the time with the Lord. I'm going to sit there and read the Bible. So, oh, no, I agree. If that, I read in the morning also. Yeah, I know. I, and I read it in the evening also. But I'm glad you said that because I, you're exactly the opposite of me. I am just, by the end of the day, I am done. There's never a day where I'm not just completely used up. Whatever time is bad. And it comes... It comes instantly. It, I, I'm, I'm going fine, and within a 10-minute time frame, every day, I'm ready to go to bed. I, I, whenever it happens, I'm just sapped. So uh, I, I completely appreciate your situation, and I bet you there's a lot of people like that that are better in the evening. Oh, I can sit and read my book now. That doesn't happen. I work until I'm done, and then I'm done, and that's that. So 3-2. Oh, wait, I didn't give a life application. Okay, um, it's a safe measure from Paul, and then life application. Doctrine matters. The more we look into the Word of God, the more fully we will understand matters of doctrine, and the more likely we will be to apply them to our lives. But we must come at it, come to it as the Word of God, which is to be reverenced. For those who read the Bible with the view that it is not the Word of God, the warnings and admonitions will harden not soften their hearts. Let us be wise in our pursuit of this magnificent superior word. This is what we need to do. I know that I typed this since we uh, opened the church. I know that it's been within 10 years because I said superior word and that only happened since we moved in. So this is at least within the last 10 years commentary. Okay, um, yes. Les Feldy, the Bible teacher. Yes. I don't know whether you've seen him. Or oh, not. I've seen him many times, okay. yeah. 
he says that exact thing. He says, if I've told you last week, I'm telling you again because you didn't get it all. That's right. right. You That's know, right. He, he, he's constantly saying that. Yeah, you, you got to repeat things. And yeah. like I said, I didn't know that. I'm the t type of person that wants to hear something and not hear it again. And so I was always apologizing. And this one lady emailed me and she said, don't say that. It helps me to hear this. And a, another guy, a friend of mine, also said the same thing. And so uh, uh, I was like, okay. And I just stopped apologizing. I'll just keep repeating and that's what we'll do. Oh, by the way, this is Steve's last week here. Until when? I thought you said this was your last. Oh, this is your last Saturday. Okay, he'll be here for next Thursday, so we can ignore him today. Okay, um, three, two. Three, two. Wait, wait. Let me get my thing up. I want to make sure that we're there with you. Okay, three, two. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Okay, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Okay, before I read this first. Who is he talking about? Circumcision, he must be talking about. The Jews. The Jews They're right. coming in, but he's not speaking against no, Jews in general. He's Judaizers. speaking, yes, the Judaizers. He's speaking about Jews that come in and try to reinsert the law. Mm. That's who he's speaking about, okay? And we have them in the church today. Yeah. They're not Jewish anymore. Some of them are. Actually, quite a few of them are. But they're called the Hebrew Roots Movement. It doesn't matter if they were Gentiles their whole life. They get this into their head that they're going to reinsert the law, and they are who Paul is warning against right now. Do not get into a church where they reinsert the law in any part at all. As I said, I think it was last week's sermon, not the, uh, the, not the uh, resurrection, but the one before that. I said this includes tithing. If they're going to tell you you must tithe because that's a precept of the law, then they are reinserting the law of Moses. I don't care what precept it is, if they say you have to, you know, I had this, uh, these neighbors, wonderful people. They were all about Jesus, grace, 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 but, oh, the pastor said we shouldn't eat pork. And I thought, why would you even listen to these people? They're dead now, I mean, this was years ago, but very nice people, but they wouldn't eat pork, and I said, don't you understand what the Bible is telling you? That has nothing to do with whatever he told you. And he used a part out of the book of Acts, the sheet coming down with all yeah, the animals in there. Right. And they said, see, we shouldn't be eating pork. And I said, that's exactly the, the opposite, opposite conclusion. <laughs> you know. But people get things into their head and they think, oh, I can't do this thing. It's it, terrible. And what would safeguard them from falling for such stuff? Read your, Read your Bible. Bible. Read your Bible. <laughs> understand it in context. Who is being spoken to under what dispensation? Read your Bible. Okay, Paul actually now begins his words of warning and admonition, which he hinted at in the preceding verse. All those words can include other parties who are harmful to the faith, because there are lots and lots of them. They are directed specifically at one group of people, the Judaizers. These are the Jews, or those following the Jews, who have come to reinsert the law in part or in whole. And I hate to tell people that say, well, you need to observe the law of Moses, that they never observe the law of Moses. The point of the law of Moses, to, Moses is to show that nobody observed the law of Moses. Because if they did, they'd still be alive to this day. They're all dead, every one of them, okay? These are people that want to have authority over other people by saying, well, I'm better than you because I don't eat pork, or I'm better than you because I 
observe the Sabbath, or I'm bettering you for this reason, or this reason, or this reason. None of those things matter in Christ. None of them. He has fulfilled them all, okay? But in part or in whole, they say you need to observe the whole law, and then they don't observe the whole law because not one of them goes to Jerusalem and sacrifices during the year. That is a part of the law. It's the most hypocritical theology on the planet, okay? Um, they are those who, by one work or many, set aside the grace of Jesus Christ in order to establish a righteousness of their own. Paul argues against this heresy more than any other in all of his writings. He writes against Gnosticism. He writes against this, and he writes against that. But against people reinserting the law, he argues against it more than any other precept that he writes about. He begins with, beware of dogs. Now remember, the Jews, to them, a dog is an unclean animal. You know, that you, we don't want to have dog for dinner. And, you know, they're just considered, the Gentiles are called dogs. And Paul is calling them dogs. The translation, unfortunately, leaves off an article before dogs. It is necessary. Now, sometimes, as I said, you can leave it off and it doesn't matter. But it is necessary sometimes to include the article. Sometimes it's not necessary. But sometimes it should be. This is one of them. Beware of the dogs, he's saying. It makes the warning less forceful than it should be. He says, beware of the dogs. The word beware in Greek is blepo, and it carries what is seen into the non-physical, meaning the immaterial realm, so that a person can take the needed action, respond, beware, be alert. That helps word studies definition. Paul is asking them to mark out and to be spiritually aware of these wicked people. They are the dogs. The term dog is highly derogatory. It indicates a raging, unclean animal. Dogs in the Middle East, even to this day, are not considered with the delight of folks in the West by any way, shape, or form. We love our dogs. We pet them. We go out and have jogs with them. And I know people on the island that have strollers and they walk their dogs in strollers. I mean, we do little uniforms and, you know, hats for our dogs and all kinds of crazy things. That is not how they're looked at in the Middle East, even to this day. All right. They're, they're looked down on. They're the animals that clean up the garbage and eat the dead bodies of things. And, you know, they're just, they're there. They're just, you know, they're not to be treated the way we do. They travel in packs, they eat corpses and other dirty things and are considered disease-ridden nuance, nu, nu, why can't I say this word? Nuisances. Nuisances. I, man, I just, sometimes my eyes read things so backwards that I, I can't even, sorry about that, uh, disease-ridden nuisances. This is seen in both, both testaments of the Bible. Paul's words probably go beyond mere uncleanness but also to the fact that they are snarling savages which tear and bite at those around them. Just think of the imagery because this is what he is calling these people. These people that would reintroduce the law. Don't do this. Oh, you know what? You shouldn't do that. No, no, no. If Paul does not forbid it, if Peter doesn't forbid it, if Jude and John and James don't forbid it, you can do it, okay? But this is what these people are. They're snarling animals. They're ravenous wolves because a wolf is a type of canine, I guess you'd call it. Anyway, um, 
Uh, they're snarling savages which tear and bite at those around them. This is how severely he treats those who would come in and attempt to reintroduce the law in part or in whole. It is the greatest offense to the purity of the gospel. In Revelation 22:15, we read about such people. Last page of the Bible. Okay. 22. 15. I'll start in 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Now think of that. This is Jesus speaking. Okay. In this one, they don't have it um, highlighted in red. Okay. Some, uh, some red letter Bibles will have those words from being from Jesus, and I would say they probably are, because it just, uh, verse 12 through 13 was certainly Jesus, and it continues, and I would say that this is also Jesus. But regardless, blessed are those who do his commandments, he says that, okay, but are outside are dogs. Now, he's taken the people that Paul has just described, he calls them dogs, people that reintroduce the law, they set aside the grace of Jesus Christ, and Jesus, if this is Jesus, if it's not John, whoever's saying this, they are lumping that type of a person, okay? Think of the churches you've been to where people are doing this. They're reinserting the law. He is comparing them to sorcerers, sexually immoral people, and murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Reinserting the law is that great of an offense to the Lord because the Lord fulfilled the law. He's the one that hung on the cross. We didn't. He did all of the work necessary he gave up his life on the cross, and it says that the, the law was nailed to the cross in Colossians 2.14. Obviously, nobody took a, a copy of the law and nailed it to Jesus' cross. It is saying that Christ is the embodiment of this body of law. He fulfilled it, he finished it, and he died in fulfillment of it. So to say that you have to observe this part of the law or that part of the law is the greatest of heresies, and it is along with all of these other things, sexually immoral people, people that love and practice a lie, sorcerers, and so on. Those categories of people are in the same category as this. And so when somebody comes up to you and starts giving to that, you say, you know, there is a remedy for people like you, and Jesus has got it on the last page of the Bible. You've got a choice. You can come to the grace of Christ, or you can be separated from God forever. But this is not a matter to fool around with at all. Not at all. Okay, by trampling on his grace, the grace of Jesus Christ, Jesus places these evildoers first in a list of the worst of all offenders. They're first, the dogs. Next, he says, to beware of evil workers. Again, an article has been dropped which takes away the severity of his words. Once again, it is not necessary to put this article in there, but I would argue that it should be in there. It says, beware of the evil workers. The Judaizers are the epitome of such evil workers. There are those who are caught in sin and may not realize it, but these people willingly cut themselves off from the grace of Christ, and they actively work against his name. Jesus has strong, strong words for them again in Revelation chapter 3 this time. He says in Revelation 3, verse 9, Six, seven, eight. I'll start in eight. I know your work. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue 
of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. The synagogue of Satan are Jews that have rejected the grace of Christ. You go to a synagogue today and they're the synagogue of Satan. Anybody that has rejected Christ and is still preaching the law, that is who it's referring to. They're preaching the Talmud, but the Talmud is based on the law, etc. I'm sorry, you are either in Christ or you are in the devil. If you are not in a church worshiping Christ, then you're somewhere and you're doing the deeds of the devil. You know, people don't want to hear that. Oh, you can't speak about the Jews that way. I'd speak about an Episcopal church that way. If they are not preaching the grace of Christ, if they're preaching sexual immorality, they're a synagogue of Satan. I don't care who it is. I don't care who they claim to be. It's either Christ or it is not Christ. Okay? So, I, I'm just adamant about it. You have to be, you have to let people know where they stand. You are either in Christ or you are not in Christ. No, no two choices. No other choice beyond those two choices. Okay, a true Jew would come to Christ. Paul speaks of that in Romans 2, all the way through Romans, actually. But a true Jew would come to Christ understanding that he, Christ, is the fulfillment of all that is spoken in Scripture. Okay? A false Jew will work against Christ, demanding the law be adhered to in part or in whole. For the past 2,000 years, they've been under the curse. They've been under the punishment because they rejected Christ. And now... There's a lot of Jews that are starting to come into the faith, the Messianic faith. But there are people that are kind of like the Judaizers of the first century. They're like, oh, we see that they're happy. These people are content. They understand who Jesus is, but we don't want them to give up on Moses. And so they start, and they're all, go online and just look at these people. They're up there preaching Jesus. And then all of a sudden they're preaching about, you need to observe the feasts of the Lord. You need to observe the dietary restrictions of the Lord and on and on and on. And as I'm going to say in the, the sermon on Sunday, if you are in grace and in the law at the same time, then the law always takes precedence. Always. Always. You cannot have the grace if you are in the law. It's impossible. So if you are doing both like these people, then they are under the law. And Paul says that explicitly in the book of Galatians. He says, if you allow yourself to be circumcised, you have set aside the grace of Christ and you are a debtor to the whole law. That's all there is to it. If you are reinserting the law, the law takes precedence and you have fallen from grace. End of story. Paul said it. That's what the Bible teaches. Feel bad for you, but you are now a debtor to the whole law. Okay? It's that serious. Okay, false Jew will work against Christ, demanding the law be adhered to in part or in whole. This is truly one who is the evil worker. He warns against them in several of his epistles. We'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We uh, did 2 Corinthians already. We went way too fast. I think we should do 2 Corinthians again. We just zipped through that baby. Okay, 2 Corinthians 11, and he says in verses 13 through 15, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers are also, uh, his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. He identifies them and their false works with their true masters. And then he completes the verse with, Beware of the mutilation. 
This is a scathing phrase directed to the very heart of the sect of Judaizers, circumcision. He uses a word found only here in the New Testament. It indicates to mutilate or to spoil. A word in English which, which meets the irony of this word would be concision, which would then stand opposed to circumcision. Paul, in essence, is saying that those who are Jews in flesh only are simply flesh mutilated and fleshed mutilators. That's all they are. If you say you need to be circumcised in order to be right before God, you are a flesh mutilator, okay? And you are flesh mutilated. But that's all you are because your heart is not right with the Lord. And Paul specifically argues against, you know, and then people say, well, you're a Gentile, you don't need to be circumcised, but you still need to observe the whole law, okay? Well, if you fail at one part of the law, you've broken the whole law. We know that from James, okay? But circumcision is a precept. It is a part of what? The uh, law. Well, it is. It's right there in the book of Leviticus. It's not only given by Moses, okay? I'm sorry, given by Abraham. It is also mandated by Moses in the book of Leviticus. And so if you say, okay, well... Paul says you don't need to be circumcised. You're a Gentile, but you still need to do all of these other things. I'm sorry, you're wrong because he has just said that you don't need to be circumcised, but that is a part of the law of Moses. So what part of the law of Moses am I to adhere to? And who are you to tell me, right? There's, you, you, there's just no way that their argument will ever stand up in court. And, it, it falls every time. How they sucker people in. And it, it's a good argument if you don't understand the Bible. Is that okay? Well, if the Ten Commandments are gone. That means you can do anything you want. I hear that so often. And it's people, like, stop. That's not what you know. You they're so confused, and they, they haven't are. taken the time to read the Bible and say, right. well, wait. Well, Paul says, don't murder. Well, so I shouldn't be murdered. But it also says, and this is one thing that they are unwilling to acknowledge. I cite it. I bet you every single Bible class for the past five years, I've said this: that in Christ we are not imputed, imputed. sin. So even if you do murder somebody, which is a terrible thing to do, and I'm not telling you to go do it, you are not imputed sin in Christ. Mm -hmm. You are covered. You are already forgiven for that. Okay? Well, they say, well, that's you can't say that. How, if you're not under law and you're not being imputed sin, you tell me what it means. Well, if 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 that is a sin that God or Jesus did not cover when he died on the cross. Then his blood then, was insufficient. Then he, like, there was like a whole, you know, it, it doesn't That's make right. any sense. None Think of it. Think it through. It's the like, case it, does not stand no, up. It does not. It doesn't. It is, you are free in Christ and you have to be responsible for your own actions in Christ because okay. yes, you are going to face judgment for everything you do. I, I, I'm, I'm having an argument with a guy who says that you have to stick with the, the thing and, I, and he goes, well then if you, if you feel that way, I'm going to sleep with your wife. And I said, well, that's okay. I'll murder you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be forgiven be and you won't. That's right. Uh, oh, crazy. It's just people. Paul, in essence, is saying that those who are Jews in flesh only are simply flesh mutilated and flesh mutilators. They boast in the flesh, but speak against the grace of Christ. Much of the book of Galatians deals with exactly this subject. I'd say all of the book of Galatians. He begins with it, he ends with it, and everything in the middle is about this subject. Watch out for these people. The warning there is so strong that he sums up the, the process of physical circumcision with these words of Galatians. I already said them to you, but I'll read them again just so that you know. It's Galatians chapter 5, 
1 through 4. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. What does Paul call observance of the law in the book of Acts chapter 15? A yoke that our fathers could not bear, right? That's what Paul is referring to. They're very consistent. Uh, yeah, Peter. Did I say Paul again? I do it all the time. Thank you, Peter. Okay, Paul didn't speak in Acts chapter 15. Peter did. So, um, he did cite Paul. But anyway, yeah, thank you for correcting me. I do it all the time. If I mean Peter, I say Paul. And if I mean Paul, I'll say Peter. Okay, indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, here it is, I just told you, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. It is either the law or it is the grace of Christ. And as I said, if you are going to have your foot in both puddles, the one that is the law will take precedence. It will be the puddle that you drown in. That's all there is to it. So be careful. Be careful. Watch that. It's a precept that you are not to forget. Do not get sucked back into the law of Moses. The little yeast ruins the whole lump. And he says that both to uh, the Corinthians and to the Galatians. Life application. If you wonder why Judaizers and Hebrew Roots Movement people speak so vehemently against Paul, it is because they are heretics who are set on a course to hell. They willingly cut off their flesh in order to cut themselves off from Christ. They are the epitome of wickedness because they see the truth of Christ's grace and yet they work against it. Such people will find no peace, nor will any who follow in their deeds. Stand fast on the grace of Jesus Christ alone. How does he begin the epistle? He begins right there. He says, to set it up, what I just said, that sounds terrible, Charlie. You shouldn't say bad things. People are going to hell. Listen, what does he say right here in uh, verse 6? I marvel that you are turning away from so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, that's, 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 which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Anathema. Off to hell. I didn't say it. Paul did. Listen, there is one gospel. There is one freedom in Christ and everything else will taint that. It'll ruin it. Okay, and legalism will too. Oh, oh, legalism, you go into a church. I was in one right down the road there for many years. And, well, you shouldn't be dancing. Women need to wear skirts that are under the knees and all these little things. Where is that in the Bible? Well, it's just, you need to do these things. All you're doing is you're ruining the people that you're leading. You're ruining them. There is to be modesty and there is to be propriety. But when you start determining that modesty is uh, your half of your knee is showing, I'm sorry, you can't come in this church. And, oh, one inch down, you can come in this church. That is insane. That is insane. It's your pet peeve, and you're the one that is making up the rules, and you're ruining the people in your church. That's insane. Oh, you shouldn't be dancing. But, gee whiz, I think David danced before the Lord, didn't he? <laughs> With it above his knee. Yeah, uh, yeah, he had his, his skirts on him. They were down below his knee. And he's a guy, so he can do it. I, just everything is just... Grace. Remember the grace of Jesus Christ, okay? Stand on the grace of Jesus Christ alone. All right, that's what we want to do. Um, you had something, Bert. Yeah. We talked about dogs to start the verse. Yep. Yeah. So this shows the Lord's power 
when Lazarus is laying there, unable to move, yeah. the dogs came and licked his sores. That's head. right. So he controlled those wild dogs yeah. to help Lazarus with his sickness. Absolutely. Helped him with his... Yeah, the, and you know what? The, I saw a movie. I can't remember. It was a true story about some guys that were in Vietnam. Obviously, it was made for Hollywood. But uh, they were pilots. They had been shot down. And then another one shows up in the camp. And uh, they've got this mangy dog. And he's like, get away from me. He said, don't chase that dog away. That's the only thing that keeps us alive. When we get sores, and we do get sores, he licks them. And he keeps us alive. They said, don't chase that dog away. And he remembered that lesson, and anyway, he ended up escaping and getting back to the real world. And I can't remember the name of the movie, but it was a really good movie. It was very good. So, hey, can we help you, sir? That's dinner for Charlie. Thank you. And mom. All right. Just put it right there. That's fine. All right. You tell Faith that I love her, okay? Yep, I'll take the Uber. And I love you, too. The what? I'll take the Uber tip later. What are you talking about? The Uber tip. Uber. Oh, Uber tip. Oh, I'm sorry. No tip for you. No tip for you. Thank you, Thor. Have a nice night. Okay, we got to get one more verse. And it's a little long. I hope we can get it done. we got 10 minutes. 3-3. Three, three. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. In the flesh, okay, for we are the circumcision, we who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh. Okay, so, good stuff, let me set this down. Wait, I might need that for, yeah, I'm gonna need it probably. Okay, three, three. Paul now clearly explains the mutilation of the last verse by stating a contrast. He says, for we are the circumcision, he uses the abstract term, the circumcision, to speak of those who are truly circumcised. This was written to a Gentile church who had never been circumcised, and yet he boldly states this. If Paul was circumcised, and they were not, and yet he says, we, then he must be referring to something not of the flesh. Everybody got that? Because these guys had never been circumcised. And this is exactly so. In Romans 2, he says the following. Let me see here. I don't want to be late. We can't go over an hour and a half because then I'll have a problem for Mike. So I'm just going to go right through this. Romans 2, verse 25. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, which every person that ever was under the law broke the law, okay? If you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. The point that Paul is making, and I'll continue reading in a minute, is that Jews claim that they are righteous because they are circumcised. This is my righteousness. Okay, that is incorrect. The circumcision is a sign of Christ's righteousness. I am righteous because of Christ. Okay, but they miss that. They say the sign is the thing itself. A sign is never the thing itself. The word ot always means that it points to something else. Okay, a miracle is the thing in itself. I'm going to make that uh, hymnal rise up and come and land in my hand. Okay, that would be kind of crazy, but you know, if I did it, that would be like a miracle or a wonder. It is the thing itself. Oh, he can do things. A sign is not that way. Circumcision is called a sign. It points to something else. It is not their righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness, and they missed that. They misunderstood that. I'll continue. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man, like these people in Philippi, keeps the righteous requirements of the law, how does he do that? 
through Christ's fulfillment of it. Okay? He keeps the, re the requirements of the law. Will not his uncircumcision, the person in Philippi, be counted as circumcision? And the answer is obviously yes. And will not the physically uncircumcised, Philippi, the guy at Philippi, if he fulfills the law, because Christ did it for him, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? Yes, he will. We will judge the people in the world. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, meaning the sign, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Okay, he threw in a pun there. Judah, the tribe of Judah, which is where Jew comes from, means praise. And so he says, um, where is it? Whose praise is not from men, but from God. Your praise isn't because you're a Jew. It's because of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he throws that in there. But at the same time, he says, a Jew who is one inwardly in circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter. The letter is speaking of the law. Okay, Christ fulfilled the law. Our desire is to be in Christ, and he is the fulfillment of the law. So we have met the demands of the law vicariously through him. It's all about Jesus and has nothing to do with us. Okay, if you read, oh, there's another thing that people will do. They will take these words, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And they will say, see, we're the Jews. That's what R.C. Sproul did. He said, you want to know where the Jews are? Here we are. We're the church. He's made a mistake. Paul is not speaking about a Gentile. He's speaking about a Jew who is circumcised and who is in Christ. That's who he's speaking about. We do not become Jews by being circumcised or we do not become Jews by being in Christ. We remain Gentiles and Jews remain Jews. He's making a point about Jews there, not Gentiles becoming Jews, okay? So you have to be careful because people will always pull little things like wool over your eyes and then you say, oh, well, we're the Jews. No, he said that right in his Table Talk magazine and it is incorrect. That makes us dogs and mutilators. Yes, dogs and mutilators. Oh, my. Okay, so um, uh, where was I? His words show that circumcision of the flesh means nothing unless it is accompanied by a change in the heart. And his words are not without prior confirmation. In fact, the thought goes all the way back to guess who? Moses. Moses himself says in Deuteronomy 10, 16 and 30, verse 6, circumcision of the heart. Circumcise your hearts. So even back then, he was saying that this thing that we're doing here is not what you think it is if it's not accompanied by this. Okay, Paul just confirms it. It's also in Jeremiah. Oh, yes, right here. This is then repeated by Jeremiah hundreds of years later. Here's what it says in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 4. Oops, one more page. And verse 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your hearts you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. They're already circumcised in the flesh and the Lord could not have cared this much about that at all. Yes, it's a precept of the law of Moses, but it is a sign. It is to be fulfilled in Christ. They needed to have their hearts circumcised. Israel had made the immense mistake of assuming that they were righteous before God,
because of who they were and because of what they had done. This was the farthest thing from the truth. They relied on that which was fleshly and did not worship God in the spirit. These words, and that's Paul's words, worshiping God in the spirit. These words go back to what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Remember what he said. Okay, John 4, and then he said in verse uh, 23, I've got to turn one page, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus' words imply that not all supposed worship is truly worship. A Jew could claim that they, he was worshiping God, let me make a correction here, that he was worshiping God by being circumcised, wearing certain clothes and observing certain rituals. However, such is not the case. True worship comes from the heart and it is directed to God in a spiritual manner, not in an external earthly manner. To worship God in the spirit is to rejoice in Christ Jesus. That was what Paul just said in this verse, rejoice in Christ Jesus. He has accomplished all of that which is necessary to reconcile us to God. Jesus did it. All we need to do is receive it and then be happy in it, rejoice in it. Therefore, we are to rejoice in him and in what he has done and have no confidence in the flesh. What this means is that for those in Christ, circumcision of the flesh means nothing, absolutely nothing. It cannot bring a person any nearer to God. And in fact, if a person who receives Christ later opts to be circumcised in order to obtain God's favor, that person has set aside the grace of God in Christ and has become obligated to the entire law. Paul explains this in Galatians. We just read some of it. No person should boast in anything but Christ Jesus and what he has done. That's it. Life application, it has become very popular today to observe certain feasts from the law of Moses, to give up eating certain foods prohibited there, and to be circumcised in order to make God happy. Paul says otherwise. Circumcision, schmircumcision. It is contrary to a right relationship with God, and it shows that the person does not trust that what Jesus did is sufficient for his salvation. It is page, stamping on his work and saying, nice try God, but I can do better. Reject such people as warped and foolish, because that is exactly what they are. They try to boast in their flesh. They try to boast in the things that they're doing and show how unholy you must be because you're not doing the things that they're doing, when in fact, all they're doing is cutting themselves off from the grace of God. That's all they're doing. And we need to remember that. And we need to not get sucked into that type of stuff. If you read the book of Galatians without ever being told anything by anybody, if you just pick it up and read it, you can come to no other conclusion than the words it says. It is the most basic, simple book probably in the Bible. And yet it's been so twisted and torn apart by people that it means nothing in many churches. Heavenly Father, help us to be careful with this word. Help us to hold to it literally and in the proper context and to, above all, trust in the grace of Christ who did all of these things for us and to study your word, to think on your word, to meditate on what it is telling us and then to apply it to our lives. Please, Lord, help us to do this because in our own, we're weak. We're, we're not capable of doing these things, but in you, we can do all things, 
all things through Christ who strengthens us. So we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Oh, I got something that's just bothering my nose. I want to sneeze and I can't. Okay, let's put this on uh, where we break. Break, break, yeah, break, okay?